Hey everybody, it's Tony, your host here. Just want to invite you to head on over to tonyfletcher.substack.com and subscribe, if you will, so that you can get yourself a weekly newsletter full of news about this podcast, my other podcast, a Substack-only subscribers podcast that's launching in December 2023, and you'll get additional show notes for this episode and other episodes complete with pictures, links, and even video and music if need be. That's tonyfletcher.substack.com. And now, on with the show. Tony here. If you've been enjoying One Step Beyond, and especially if you enjoy the fact we don't have ads running through it, please consider dropping something in the tip jar. Think of when you encounter a busker. You like what you hear, you put some loose change in the hat, and you go about your day knowing that you're doing your own little part to encourage creativity. Just look for the Support This Show link on whatever app you're using to listen along, or visit Supporter com forward slash one step beyond. Thank you. And now, on with the show. Hey, you! And welcome to One Step Beyond, a show all about positively engaging with the world outside our door. This is episode 25, and I am calling it the anniversary episode. Yes, One Step Beyond is now one year old, give or take. I launched One Step Beyond at the start of May 2020, Although the initial episodes, the From Kingston to Kilimanjaro mini-documentary, had been aired prior to that on Radio Kingston, but always with the intent that it would form the basis of this podcast. Since that launch, I, my name's Tony Fletcher by the way, you can look me up if you don't know me already, have just about kept to the original intent of one episode every other Thursday. And I have to say, one reason I've stayed on that schedule is because this show has taken me to incredible places. Or at least it's taken me into incredible conversations, given that I haven't been able to travel this past year. And it's hard to know whether I would have gotten through the pandemic year relatively at peace as I have been, if not for this show, its interactions, and those frequently long distance, but also occasionally, as you'll hear, in-person conversations. And so, for this anniversary episode, I've opted to revisit our past ones. And that's not a cop-out. This episode has actually involved more work than usual. But I figured it was a chance to review the conversations that have taken place, the journeys I've been on, and the multitude of topics that have been discussed. This show could easily have been about just, say, running, or just, say, travel, or just, say, health, but it's sort of been about all those things and more. My hope is that you're never quite sure what the next episode will bring, but that you'll look forward to it all the same. And that, if an episode is not quite up your street, well... As R.E.M.'s Peter Buck put it to me back in the early 1990s when his band was still putting out an album a year, although I'm almost certain he was quoting Neil Young in doing so, hey, there'll be another one coming along soon enough. But this, episode 25, is far more than the greatest hits. I took the opportunity of the one-year anniversary to reach out to all my guests and ask them for an update on their own lives. Specifically, I asked everyone to answer these four simple questions. Have you been able to realise your goals over the past year? Have you been able to turn the COVID crisis into an opportunity? Do you have an exciting upcoming event slash project? And do you have a motto for staying optimistic going forwards? I'm happy to say most guests were able to respond, either in writing or by audio, and that those who did record their answers sent those files in from no less than six continents. 
Over the course of this one show, you'll hear from people in Australia, Africa, Europe, North and South America, and I don't know, I've added Central America too, if that actually counts. This show, by the way, has been downloaded in 55 countries and counting. It's fun to see the map of the planet gradually get coloured in on a a webpage, especially as I've not coloured in my own map of the planet for 27 months now. So I put the responses together in chronological order of the shows themselves, and I can feel my own journey in doing so. After that mini documentary, I set off the podcast proper by interviewing friends, people I knew, and gradually cast my net further afield, reaching out to people all over the world, making this show suitably global, and yet, with my field recordings from local races and hikes of the Catskills and more, often equally local. I'll see you on the other side for an update of my own life, and in the meantime, kick back, step back, do whatever you feel like, and get ready to join me as we go. One step Morning, Protus. Morning. Morning, Tony. Morning, Tim. Morning, Tony. Ah, what's on today's agenda then? Well, I'm just... It's pretty cold. It's a bit colder than it was during the night. Yeah. Um, when I went up to the bathroom, again, the stars at night were just... The Milky it, Way was just spectacular. It is amazing, isn't it? Now we're looking down uh, into the plains and we're just through the mist we can see one two three four five six seven eight ranges just like shrouded in mist and it's it, just incredible it is it is stunning it beats uh, this one beats the Catskills of everybody that's been featured on One Step Beyond The person I've known the longest is Tim Kelly. We grew up together in South London. He was in a band, I was in a band, he ran a fanzine, I ran a fanzine. We stayed very close friends, partly connected through our love of Crystal Palace. And although Tim moved to Australia decades ago, I've been fortunate to visit him there at least twice. And he was able to join me and three others when we took a trip to Mount Kilimanjaro in August of 2019, which formed the basis, as noted, for the first four episodes of this show. The trip to and up Mount Kilimanjaro really was a high point of my life in all senses of the word. And hopefully, if you do get a chance or you did hear those first few episodes, it'll give you just uh, an inkling of why this journey, this kind of journey, this kind of group journey where you take something on together and spend time together and spend time getting to know other people together as well is just such a life-affirming experience. Tim is a great raconteur. He's very self-effacing. He's very funny. He was a great foil to have on that particular journey. And while he was not a guest per se of this show, it seems appropriate to hear from him at the start of these reminiscences. Tim sent in his recording from the suburbs of Sydney, where they'll just be going into their autumn and then their winter. And it runs as follows. Question. Have you been able to realise your goals over the past year? Yes and no. I've got a new job, which I'm finding really invigorating. Um, so that's been great. So that's uh, been a goal that's been realised. Um, I've put an application in to do a PhD. We'll see whether that happens or not. Travel's been a letdown, of course. I had visions of trekking in Spain to practice my uh, attempts to learn Spanish or South America, and obviously they were thwarted. 
Um, on the upside, I did get to visit Outback Australia, which I probably wouldn't have happened if um, if the airways had been open. And that was uh, that was great. A road trip to Broken Hill um, was uh, a great experience, and um, I'm glad I did it. So that's a big positive. Question: Have you been able to turn COVID crisis into an opportunity? Well. You know, I'm in Australia, so we haven't really had COVID in the same sense that um, most other places, but particularly from my point of view, the US and Europe and the UK have had. Um, So we've had travel restrictions for the most part. We've had to wear masks, no big deal, but nothing like it has been overseas. So we're in a bit of a weird position. It was pretty interesting in the educational sector in that we had to transfer learning to online environments and... um, that was really good. That was a really good learning curve and um, looking at ways to make that experience valid and viable um, was great. Really enjoyed that. And also, I think one of the great positives out of COVID is getting that balance between working from the office and working from home right, being in a reactive reactive social environment to being in a solo but um, proactive environment has been really good. So that work-life balance has enabled a bit more exercise for me, but I also think has produced better work as well. Do you have an exciting upcoming event or project? Well, I've got the new job I talked about earlier. Also looking forward to doing a trek later this year, looking at um, maybe something in Western Australia and um, hopefully start planning for what might happen in 2022. Haven't been to London for four years and um, that's hurting a little bit. So um, that's definitely going to be on the agenda. Do you have a motto for staying optimistic going forwards? Mottos aren't for me particularly, but I do think we can be optimistic. I do a lot of reading. I read a lot of historical novels. Um, I've just read an amazing book called A Woman in Berlin by Anonymous, which is about life in Berlin when um, when it fell. Um, I read a lot of Rashad Kapaninsky and his travels through Africa and the, uh, the situations um, he gets into. And in the big scheme of things... COVID is an inconvenience, I suppose, rather than a crisis. And I say that knowing that people have died and obviously that personal tragedy is very real and very important. But it isn't war. It isn't displacement. It isn't a pogrom in um, in the great scheme of things. So, um, you know, I'm sure the planet has enjoyed the break, um, even if we haven't. So, yeah, is there a motto? I was once in a band who had an album called Strive to Survive, Causing Least Suffering Possible. That's probably a pretty good one. The band Tim references there was called Flux of Pink Indians. They were an anarchist punk band. And although I actually didn't, was not an anarchist punk and didn't particularly listen to their music, that album title is one that I have carried through much of my life. Listen, you can't change the world on your own, but you can aim to minimise the suffering that you impose on others on your own. Also... I appreciate Tim's view on uh, the COVID crisis, or as they evidently call it in Australia, the COVID crisis. I would argue it has been a crisis, and I would argue that if medicine and science and technology had not developed the way that they have over this past century, we would have been facing something like the great uh, flu epidemic, the Spanish flu, as they called it, which wiped out tens of millions of people, more people than the First World War that preceded it. However, 
I do echo his thoughts that I think sometimes in the first world in particular, we expect everything to be so perfect. And as I've uh, frequently said to my, my younger son in particular this past year, who has had to spend a whole year of learning from home, if he has been learning at all, and has obviously had minimal interactions, no dates, uh, very little social life whatsoever, at a period in time at the age of 15 where all of those things are really, really important. Hey, we're not at war. Hey, you know, we're not refugees, and we'll get to the refugee status later in this show. You know, hey, we're not a persecuted people. COVID is many, many things, but it does not reflect the worst of mankind's cruelty to each other. And I don't think Tim means to minimize it, and I don't mean to, uh, certainly I'm not going to minimize it due to the work I've been doing, which I'll also talk about later on. So great to hear from him. I hope it's not too long till him and I can meet again. Maybe, Tim, just maybe the Camino de Santiago possibly it's on my radar if it's on yours and i know it's on yours we are going to make it to the it would have been lovely to have heard from protus mayonga as well for this particular anniversary show he was our guide on our trip to mount kilimanjaro born and raised in tanzania he lives in the Hudson Valley, not far from me, and was a wonderful conduit for um, our trip over and for the mini doc that we put together. However, it would seem from his social media that he set off for what I believe was his first journey back to his homeland since the pandemic started, right as I was putting this show together. And while we're talking about Tanzania and COVID, we documented way back on episode five last year with Henry Stedman, author of uh, really what's the best book about climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. We heard even then about the president, uh, John Magafuli's denial of COVID. Magafuli died just last month, somewhat mysteriously. Most people do believe it was from COVID. Poetic justice, perhaps. In the meantime, Tanzania has its first female president, uh, President Samia Suluhu Hassan. She announced very quickly that she would form a technical committee uh, to advise her about the scope of COVID-19 in the country. She said COVID is not something we should be quiet about or refuse flatly or accept without doing a scientific examination. That's not exactly a promise to accept vaccines into the country or to start releasing data again, but um, it may just be a step in the right direction. But onwards to episode five, when I really had to set about making the show on my own and I stayed close to home and I featured a new friend of mine, a high school teacher here in Kingston, who faced a health crisis and decided to do something about it. I'll let her talk for herself from that episode number five, which was called From Couch to 5K and Back to Killy. Back in December 2019, I noticed that I was suffering some health issues and the, some of those health issues had to do with um, breathlessness, heart palpitations, um, there are a lot of stairs at my high school and I would go up the stairs and think, is this the moment that I'm going to drop dead on the stairs of my high school and students and colleagues will find me in that state. So I am a person who was raised by two heavily overweight people and I've experienced dieting off and on, losing weight, gaining weight, all of that. So in December, I was experiencing the worst health that I feel that I had, I had ever experienced. And so I made the decision to become a vegan. About a week or two into my vegan eating plan, 
I realized that I was breathing so much better that I wanted to start exercising. So I started exploring what my exercise options were. I didn't want to join a gym, so I wanted to do something that was absolutely free and decided to start running. Important back announcement. Her name is Paula Lucas. Sorry about that. I'm actually doing this show unscripted. I think part of my own journey over the past year is becoming a bit more confident sitting in front of this microphone on my desk and realizing that maybe it sounds more comfortable to the listener if I'm not reading off the printed page. Anyway, on with the show, as they say. Here's how Paula reacted to the four questions I sent every guest. Have I been able to realize my goals over the past year? Well, yes, for the most part. I stayed vegan and improved my health immensely. The running continued to go well, and I got myself up to a 10K distance pretty consistently and improved my speed. And last spring, I started climbing some of the Catskill Mountains. I now have two of the 3,500 peaks under my belt, including one fabulous winter hike up Balsam Mountain. So who knows? I might earn that patch someday. Have I been able to turn the COVID crisis into an opportunity? Well, as a teacher, our COVID year was tough. Teaching kids and yet being completely disconnected from them was a true learning curve for sure. But little by little, um, more kids are coming into the classroom. And hopefully by next September, we will be back to almost normal. I followed all the rules, but I actually contracted COVID in November. Um... Luckily, because I had been a vegan and been running, I had a fairly mild case. As far as exciting upcoming events or projects, I simply have a list of goals for 2021 that include running, hiking, and continuing to improve my health. On that note, you may remember in my episode, I talked about having an eating disorder and being 100 pounds overweight. I can say honestly that veganism did not cure that. Um, I'm still working on it. And I've added a program called Brightline Eating to my vegan plan to help me get the support I need. Looking forward, I have many goals in sight, adventures to plan, paths to hike and miles to run. Congratulations to Paula for all her successes with the running and veganism. And thank you also for the humility to admit to the non-successes. Having the desire to do something like lose weight does not always mean that one can achieve it overnight just because of that desire. Uh, Paula does make the point about her attack of COVID being less severe because of running and veganism. I tried to do some research on this and can't find kind of conclusive proof. What I can find is that having a strong immune system is really important as a defense against COVID and that having a plant-based diet and indeed running and doing other cardiovascular exercise also helps build that strong immune system. I would love to see some detailed research into the diets of people who've contracted COVID and unfortunately been hospitalized and or killed by it. I suspect it would confirm what a lot of us probably know deep down inside and not what we all want to admit to. I'm not a professional researcher, but if you are, get in touch. For episode six, I did reach out to another local friend. Her name is Carla Rhodes, 
And she was not able to contribute to this anniversary episode, but for a very good reason, because the day that I put out as the initial deadline, the very same day, she had an article published in the New York Times about the same journey that she took that we featured on that episode a full year ago, which we entitled Into the Wildlife. The article was entitled The Biologist, an Outlandish Stalk and the Army of Women Trying to Save It. And it was about her journey to the Indian state of Assam, where she came across the greater adjutant stalk, which she photographed in great detail on the way to discovering her own new career as a wildlife photographer and having won a number of awards already, Reader's Awards and National Geographic Awards and Smithsonian Awards having her photographs and indeed her own article published in the New York Times. No small achievement. I know that Carla's been spending a lot of time trying to bring those photographs, that whole journey she took to Assam last year, right on the eve of lockdown to fruition. Uh, she's maybe proved that patience is indeed a virtue. Everything went kind of viral for her that day. It's all gone a little ballistic. I really hope it leads to more work on a similar vein. She's an incredible photographer, a great personality. It was a pleasure having her on the show. I'll put a link into the New York Times article or otherwise, you know, if you want to hear the audio version of her story there, just go back to episode six. For episode seven, I reached out to another local friend, but this one currently much, much further away. Rick Dragon had been an artist and then a businessman in the Hudson Valley, Phoenicia and Kingston and a very good friend. After his divorce, after his kid went off to college as well, he made a move all the way down to Bogota, Colombia, where I actually visited him over New Year 2019. That's from late December 2018 into the start of 2019. Colombia was indeed the last new country I visited. But the big story was that Rick had, after a couple of years really enjoying himself in the art community down there, got his sights set on a piece of land that he was going to lease and set up an art colony, art school. But I did not expect that he would have the school up and running within just a few months of uh, visiting the land and still being forced to look at it from outside. With what seems to be a rather typical lack of imagination, I titled that episode From the Catskills to Columbia. And on this brief clip, you'll hear Rick talk about his vision for the Center for the Arts he set up, which he has called Arte Suma Paz. Arte Suma Paz is a dream much, much bigger than me. And I think after so many years of being in business and, you know, that sort of thing, having a dream that is not about me, that is about helping a lot of other people is very liberating and wonderfully exciting. For this anniversary episode, Rick sent me a 15-minute audio file that he recorded with the president of Arte Sumapaz, Pedro Crump, and the general manager, Pepa Herrera. Obviously, I've had to edit it for length, and it's probably also the time to say that in asking people to do this kind of thing for me, I couldn't set up professionally the way one might request for a longer interview. You're going to hear a lot of phone recordings here. It's the nature of the modern world we live in. I suspect the kids don't care, right? Hello. Hello. How are you? So you asked us a few questions here. You've asked us first, have we been able to realize our goals over this past year? Before the crisis began, our goal was to be... Uh, financially break even as a foundation, certainly by this point, and we've had to forego that goal, uh, although we've, we've hit a lot of other goals and things that we didn't even think were going to be goals. I've got to tell you about a milestone today. So as you might know, Tony, and, and thank you because you were a contributor, uh, we did a fundraiser, a Kickstarter to, to buy a piano. And yeah. that, that plan had to change. Our original plan was to buy uh, an upright piano. Now, pianos are a little harder to get in Colombia. We didn't go through or, 
You know, the country didn't go through that same thing the U.S. did with a piano in every parlor. We finally uh, determined to get uh, a really high quality, a good Yamaha uh, electric piano. And today, the International Day of the Piano, evidently, uh, we went and, and purchased our piano. So one of Tony's questions here is, uh, have you been able to turn the COVID crisis into an opportunity? Now, one of our biggest challenges uh, growing food are these leaf-cutting ants. You know, the things that you've seen in these documentaries about the jungle and you see the ants carrying the big chunks of leaf by and, and like highways. We have those ants. And the normal solution for that, unfortunately, is this really toxic chemical that's illegal in Europe. But finally... We found a local farmer who, who gave us advice about planting a certain type of bean that apparently the ants will cut the leaves and bring it back to their nest and it will help grow a fungus that, that diminishes the ants. So we're experimenting with that right now. So one final question. Do you have a model for staying optimistic going forwards? We named ourselves because we're in the region of a place called Sumapaz. And Sumapaz uh, could be translated as above all peace. And it represents a very large region, including this very interesting biodiverse area called the Paramo. Uh, but so we were originally uh, Sumapaz Artes. And, and somebody said, well, why not uh, Arte Sumapaz? And I said, okay, that's a good name. Well, the other day, somebody had sort of drawn a, a sort of logo on a paper bag that said Arte with the plus sign, Paz, Arte plus Paz. And, and Pedro pointed out, well, in Spanish, of course, the plus sign is pronounced Suma, so it's Arte Suma Paz. And it's interesting that we sort of serendipitously named ourselves with a component that is, while it's super focused on art and culture, and in the belief that art and culture is healing for trauma and this, this planet of ours, that the, the entire peace process, which is one that is Colombia is still very, very embroiled in. It is not uh, completely successful yet. It's an ongoing process. But you realize how much peace and the healing of past traumas uh, is critical to the world and this world in which we face not only COVID, but you know the global climate change and, and the great challenges we have as humanity. So... Uh, I, I do believe that the fundamental core of our foundation, being about art and culture, is also very, very much about uh, peace and everything that that represents. Yeah. Super. Well, thank you. Thank you, Pedro and Peppa. Thank you very much. And thank you, Tony, and all the listeners to One Step Ahead, and love to all of you. And thank you, Rick, because One Step Ahead may be a better name for this podcast. I would have to get new theme music, though. For episode 8, I reached out and did a story on another startup, albeit one of a different kind, and for the first time with somebody that I had never spoken to before. I reached out all the way to Kenya, to the dynamic co-founder and co-CEO of Ender Sportswear, and I will let Nava tell her own story. This first part, of course, is from the episode itself. One of the things we did was to commit to the social aspect of basically saying we want to commit that this company shall be formed with the purpose of creating social impacts in Kenya. And secondly, um, we want to also make sure that it is as environmentally fr friendly as possible 
uh, I mean, there's certain limitations. It's not been easy to kind of get to the point where we want to be, but we are also saying, what kind of world do you want to live in or run it? And so you're like, why can't we create a, a company that is also valuing the world that we want to live in? So Ender is a lot more than mere talk. Ender is a certified B Corporations. That means it uh, meets the highest standards of social environment and environmental impact. And it's climate neutral certified. More than that, it's providing jobs to Kenyans. It's bringing the world of running back to what is certainly the top long distance running country in the world. And I can now testify having run in the e quite considerably over this past year and have now a very, very smooth marathon in them. They also make really, really good shoes. And the company is hopefully going to go from strength to strength. But I will let Nava tell you about that because she was kind enough to get right on back to me and answer the questions. Hi, this is Navalaya Osembo from Enda. First of all, congratulations. A year is not a small thing. And so I'm happy to have been part of that. Uh, I would say that uh, we were definitely able to achieve our goals over the past year. Um, 2020, while it came with challenges of the pandemic, turned out to be a good year for us, mostly because um, not just for us, but a lot of players in the health and fitness industry, um, people became more aware of their health. And health ba- basically became a key outcome for many people, not just physical, but mental well-being. And so as a result of that, the running shoe industry has seen an uptick and we've also been able to benefit from that. And yeah, I would say COVID definitely became an opportunity, mostly due to behavioral change. We do have exciting projects coming up. Uh, we hope to launch our trail shoe later this year. So super excited about that. We did suffer some delays as a result of COVID. Uh, supply chain uh, challenges. In terms of a motto for staying optimistic going forwards, we are always guided by this very famous African quote, uh, traced to Eastern Africa, sometimes also to Southern Africa. But the message is, if you want to go far, you go alone. If you want to go further, you go with others. And so one of the things we've realized even in this pandemic is that we are a subset of the environment and the people around us. And so when, when things become difficult, we look for, we look to our community and we look to our friends and family to help us get there. And so I would say, um, you're not alone. We are not alone. Look for the helpers, look for the people around you who could help you achieve your goals. And so I'd say the community is what's keeping us optimistic. That's it for me. And I really wish everybody listening to this a great day and a great year ahead. Bye. Yes, Nava does speak incredibly fast and combined with her accent and just the quality of the kind of lines that we're recording these shows on at times, it might be very hard for some people to understand her. In which case, if you haven't listened to episode eight already, I do really encourage, indeed, even implore you to do so. I found her story really fascinating, but also inspiring. Uh, The episode was called Kenya Ender and Off to the Races. Just a couple of episodes later, we did another show on footwear, but this time we actually were coming out somewhat against it. No insult intended to Ender. I got together with somebody I'd met on the races, a guy called Bill Hoffman, who I'd gotten to know largely because he runs in the lunar sandals. If he's not running barefoot, that is. The lunar sandals are these very minimal open sandals basically built on a piece of rubber tire favored by the Tarahumara Indians of the Mexican Copper Canyons who were rendered famous by the wonderful book Born to Run. I've always enjoyed recording episodes of this show in the field, so to speak, and I interviewed Bill quite literally 
on the run. Why should we be going barefoot or as close as? Why shouldn't we take advantage of everything that science and technology has given us and wear good protective shoes? I'm not sure there's science behind good protective shoes. I think that's the first uh, fallacy I'd say in that line of reasoning. I mean, uh, I think the uh, shoe companies, you know, wanted to sell shoes. I mean, if you go back into the 70s, all the shoes were flat. Um, I guess maybe because we didn't have the materials. But then we went into these big, thick, squishy shoes with little or no research on what that actually did to people's running. I think some more stuff has been done now, and you've got, you know, the the super shoes that they're using now to break two-hour marathons. Um, but I think for general general people, I mean, we evolved to go long distances barefoot. We didn't have shoes. Maybe we had a pair of sandals like this. Um, you know, that was sort of the first vehicle created by man was the simple sandal and it allowed you to go further than you could barefoot a little bit of protection but not really messing with the basic mechanics i mean you don't see dogs or deer or anything else wearing shoes why should people have to wear shoes so there's an interesting addendum to that particular episode because I went out and bought a pair of those lunar sandals and found they really, really weren't for me. But anyway, it's right for Bill and I checked back in with him. I know he's been doing some interesting stuff this past year as he hinted at even on that episode what he was planning and he wrote back as follows. Have you been able to realize your goals over the past year? He said my goals were changed over the past year with respect to running. All but one of the races was canceled and I only ran two in-person races. I did manage to get a few FKTs. Now, FKTs are fastest known times. And that was one of the many outdoor adventure activities that exploded during the pandemic with people not able to race each other. They raced against a particular course. So for Bill, he ratcheted up four of them. Never thought I'd be able to get one of those. Note that they are also OKTs, only known times as the routes were created by me and my friends and involved self-supported efforts where cars are usually used. Have you been able to turn the COVID crisis into an opportunity? Yes, he writes, I was able to start a trail running company, Mountain Dog Running. We were able to hold our first race, a 14-mile trail race at Moreau Lake State Park with about 4,000 feet of vertical gain. We had about 60 runners and it was a great day. Do you have a motto for staying optimistic going forward? relentless forward progress there is adventure out there waiting to be found find it he then writes i recently come to the conclusion that adventure is what keeps me running i like to do new things first it was can i run five miles can i run a marathon can i run an unsupported 54k trail race can i run a 100 mile race can i climb 12 mountains and swim across a lake in the middle can i run to new york city from bear mountain you get the idea. Explore the unknown and keep moving so that you can keep exploring new things. I think with that final quote, Bill has successfully nailed how myself and a lot of other people I know who are into sort of outdoor adventures feel about their activities, which is that for all that we have races in our calendars or events in our calendars that we even fix our calendars by, as long as they're happening in this pandemic environment, of course, there are other things that we want to take on. And so we do something new. And then very often we say we've done that. Let's do something new again. 
So for my part, when I competed in the entire Manitou's Revenge 54-mile race across the Catskills in 2017, which is where I met Bill out running in his Luna sandals, by the way, I had such a great day, quite seriously, one of the most fantastic days of my life that I felt I couldn't better it. And the next year, I decided to volunteer. Ironically, I was out for longer as a volunteer than I was on the race course the previous year. And in some ways, it was actually a harder task. Anyways, in regards to what Bill calls his only known times, I took a look at the FKT website and a couple of them have been attempted by other people and indeed his times have already been bettered. So, you know, he set up some new challenges for people to just go out and see if they could do the same thing. That's enormously creative. It's also good fun. Now, in terms of talking about kind of breaking with one's routine, that kind of ultra competitive, arguably ultra competitive Uh, mindset stands rather at odds with the book still running and its author, Suisse Goddard, who I featured in episode 13, which for once I rightly just called Still Running. I first met Suisse when she was a teacher at the Zen Mountain Monastery in Mount Trempa, a Buddhist monastery, where I went and sat Zazen on Wednesday evenings and Sunday mornings and took part in a couple of retreats and a few other things as well during the years that I lived very close by. Suisse was actually the person who taught me how to sit Zazen and she incorporates that same process into the book Still Running. Here you'll hear her talk more about those connections. The book, by the way, published by Shambhala Publications, a very respected spiritual arm of a major publishing house. And her book came with a blurb on the front cover from no less than Scott Jurek, arguably America's preeminent ultramarathoner, a very famously committed vegan, and also, and not by coincidence, the American star of that same aforementioned book, Born to Run. The place that I train, Zen Mountain Monastery, part of the Mountains and Rivers Order, we do what's called body practice, and I speak about it briefly in my book, which is really the study of the self through the body. It is using the body to to really look at who we are at our core. And um, running, because it's a relatively simple and repetitive activity, lends itself, I have always felt, to a meditation practice. And in fact, many runners who don't have a formal spiritual practice speak of this. Uh, running, cycling, swimming, you know, sports that you can do over a, a period of time, especially alone, lend themselves to this kind of practice. And so um, I began doing a series of retreats at the monastery on running as, as a spiritual practice. And after a few years, I realized I had all this material. Why don't I write it down and start actually putting together a book? So that's how how Still Running came about. A brief caveat to what I said just before that clip, when I was suggesting that Suisse's book is somehow at odds with the competitive spirit of the ultramarathoner. Well, of course, if that was the case, she wouldn't have gotten that blurb from Scott Jurek 
anybody who's engaged in any kind of endurance activity will know that it's incredibly meditative that the mind kind of just gradually lets go of all its other extraneous thoughts and you come down to the process at hand and the nature or the world just in your immediate vicinity that's one of the beauties of for me personally getting out and running the mountains but other people have it with other activities I think where her book really succeeded is that she brings running back down to its core back down to some very simple but not simplistic approaches Suisse was kind enough to uh, phone in and offer the following review of her year and where she finds herself spiritually if not physically right at this moment this question of whether I've been able to realize my goals over the past year I guess I didn't think of the year in that way I didn't think of it in terms of goals there was so much that was and continues to be challenging different that I really have been focusing on each moment moment after moment uh, and I feel I've been able to do that in great part thanks to my practice, my Buddhist practice, and my meditation practice. I wrote a piece about the pandemic some point last year, and, you know, it's, it's the kind of thing that nobody would have wished on anybody. At the same time, I do feel that it is giving us the opportunity to really consider how it is that we want to live our lives and how to do things differently because everything is demanding change and more life-affirming ways of interacting with one another. So I wouldn't say so much that I have a motto for being optimistic. I just do my best to be within each moment, each day, as it comes. Sometimes it's difficult, sometimes it's wondrous, and I'm okay with that, because that is life. And what gives me the confidence to believe that I can do that is the belief that I have the tools to meet what presents itself before me. And in that vein, I'm uh, teaching a class in May on the five spiritual powers of Buddhism, faith, energy, mindfulness, concentration, and wisdom, which I think of as the toolkit to do exactly what I said, to meet each moment as it comes. So that's an exciting event. Uh, It's a five-week class that... I'm hope will help, will help me, will help others to um, recognize that we do have everything that we need to meet this moment in this time. Thank you to Zrisa Goddard for her teachings, for her writings, and for helping slow down the pace of this anniversary episode. We did continue to slow things down a little on One Step Beyond after what I might consider peak running getting down through Zuise to still running, and then into the concept of walking at length. In fact, walking the length of India, as episode 14 was entitled. It featured a young Brit, or youngish Brit, 
Ollie Hunter-Smart, who followed up a pretty adventurous uh, journey up the Amazon with a solo walk from the Himalayas in the north of India to the very, very southern tip of India, partly following in the footsteps of Gandhi's salt march, but going way beyond that and not just undertaking the journey, but bringing camera equipment with him and making a one-man movie entitled The Road to Independence, and all this without ever having set foot in the country before. You're going to hear a brief clip from that movie that not only sums up Ollie's adventure perfectly, but I think speaks a lot to the essence of a show like this, and then a quick interaction between myself and him about the world's most populous nation. If you're not interested in culture or community, then don't walk through a country. And if you don't want to fall in love with humanity, then don't go to India. What were your expectations of India and how did it live up to them? I mean, it's, it's, it's such a varied country because it is so vast um, and it covers such a huge range of uh, terrains. The, the culture changes, you've got different religion impacts, you've got this caste system, which is incredibly confusing for for outsiders but it's essentially it's a it's a kind of a hierarchy you know there, there there is so many different influences on it it's you can't really have an expectation of what india actually is when i flew up uh, to lay where near where i started i it, let's just say i considered that as, as an ease into india there, there was very few people around it was um uh, mountainous uh, it was fair bit cooler than I was expecting um, and that the food was very different as well and uh, the people looked different and so all of those things I was like oh this isn't quite what I was expecting it was only when I came maybe part way through the the Himalayas that I suddenly started experiencing the India that I'd anticipated. Now I would have described Ollie as a classic overachiever And so it was quite sobering. He didn't initially respond to my invitation for uh, an anniversary anecdote, but that's okay. He wasn't the only one. But then way after the deadline and after I'd initially planned to air this show, he sent in a lovely little two and a half minute video clip. And it brings us down to earth somewhat. My home country, the UK, has had the highest ratio of deaths per capita of any leading country from covid And it's also only just emerging from an incredibly long and persistent second lockdown. Given that you've been hearing from a whole number of people who seem to have been able to not only succeed at their goals this past year, but arguably even to exceed them, I think it's really useful for us to hear from Ollie beaming in from a country where goals have really had to be put aside for the time being. Hi, my name's Ollie Hunter-Smart. Now, over the last year, it has been incredibly difficult for me to try and achieve my travel goals. Uh, Obviously, the various international restrictions as a result of COVID, but also the regional restrictions around the UK has made travel incredibly hard. So I didn't really get out uh, and explore much. That said, that is a bit of an excuse because last summer there was a short period where travel uh, was uh, kind of allowed again, particularly around the UK, uh, things did start to ease up and unfortunately I didn't take advantage of it. But what I did do was take on a full-time job, uh, which has given me uh, a different kind of challenge. Uh, It's given me something different to think about. It's given me a bit more financial stability, which is always good. Um, But also it's given me much more drive to make sure I do get out and explore, uh, particularly at the weekends, uh, which has also been really good. Now, moving on to my travel 
goals for 2021. Again, I think this year is going to be particularly tough. I don't think there's going to be a huge amount of international travel happening. But certainly around the UK, as the vaccine is rolled out, I think travel will open up around our own country. And so that's something I'm really looking forward to doing, is spending more time exploring this incredible country itself, the place that I call home. Uh, I also took the opportunity to buy a, an inflatable paddleboard last summer. Um, and there are some incredible lakes and rivers around the UK uh, and, and also the coastline as well that I'm really looking forward to trying exploring this year. Now, COVID has been incredibly tough for everyone. It's been very difficult to stay positive. You may have heard of a guy called Captain Tom. He's become somewhat of a national hero here in the UK. He fought in the Second World War. And last year, at the age of 100, he raised £32 million for the National Health Service. So an incredible guy. Unfortunately, he did die of COVID just a couple of months ago. But he did live his own life by this incredible motto. And I, that's something I think that we should all try and live our own lives by. And that motto was tomorrow will be a good day. So get out there, explore and make sure that tomorrow is a good day. Thank you, Ollie. I hope you can get out and explore again sometime soon and tomorrow will be a good day and I am looking forward to seeing people back in the UK sooner rather than later. And as an important footnote, I should say that that episode with Ollie, episode 14, Walking the Length of India, is one of my favourite episodes that I put together, partly because I just love India in all its frustrations and contradictions and chaos and utter beauty, and also because Ollie was a really good coherent guest and because I got to use clips from the movie as well. I was also really pleased with episode 15, which was cryptically entitled Who is Diogenes and Why Should We Care? It actually featured a local, meaning Catskills, Hudson Valley local called Ken Posner, who, like Oli, has a track record of crazy events and a few mad achievements. He's a minimalist and he has a lot of other really important beliefs too, which include going without navigational tools to just get back to the humans we once were. And to show how relatively easy that can be, then on election day, which would have been Tuesday, November the 3rd, he took me up Rusk Mountain to get me one mountain closer to my 3500 club badge. In fact, he got me to get myself up Rusk Mountain without use of compass, phone, any other cheat sheets. And on the climb, he talked to me a little bit more about his philosophies. You know, I call myself a minimalist, uh, not a primitivist, so I'm not trying to actually go back in time and reenact a paleolithic lifestyle. But uh, it's more about experimenting with the variables uh, and what technology brings you. And when you go too far, you get the weakness and the cost of technology with questionable benefits, and then you may be worse off. So, for example, uh, eating, right? <laughs> now, eating's important, and uh, today you're not carrying food with you, and I, I skip breakfast, which is my normal practice when I'm out in the field. And in days gone by, people went for days without food, and they were able to manage that and deal with it. But in today's world, we have so much food and so much sugary food that most people have been, become accustomed to grabbing a snack whenever they feel the slightest of hunger and as a result they lose the ability to burn fat 
and to manage themselves and power themselves without a constant supply of, of sugar or carbohydrates. Ken sent in a written response to my questions for the anniversary episode as follows. Have you been able to realize your goals over the past year? Yes, absolutely. Around seven marathons and two ultras, including first time 50 miler barefoot. Probably we should pause and just repeat that, 50 miles barefoot. Hiked extensively in the Catskills and some in New Hampshire and the Adirondacks. Through hiked the John Muir Trail, 72% barefoot. I love the 72%, that's rather specific. Accomplished other personal and work goals too. Have you been able to turn the COVID crisis into an opportunity? I wouldn't say it quite that way, he writes. Rather, I'd say that I reacted to the crisis by assessing risks and developing alternative strategies. And as a result, was able to achieve my goals in different ways. The reduction in business travel and commuting gave me extra time for other purposes. And I was fortunate that the virus did not impact me or any friends or family members. And the people I know who did catch COVID got over it quickly and fully recovered. Do you have an exciting upcoming event slash project? He writes, I'm working on two books, one on the Catskills, the other on the John Muir Trail, and I'm planning to head back to California this summer and hike the John Muir Trail 100% barefoot. And do you have a motto for staying optimistic going forwards? Not exactly, he writes. I find that having goals that are important keeps me naturally positive. The motto I often use is, slow is smooth, smooth is fast. It's a reminder to stay methodical and disciplined and not to get excited and rush and make mistakes. All of that sounds exactly like the Ken that I spent not only that election day with on Rusk, but we went back out a few weeks later with snow on the ground by now and climbed the two mountains that were the other side of the road there. So I got two more mountains closer to my 3500 club badge and we did those together similarly without navigational tools, food, etc, etc. And in fact, Ken helped inspire me to see if I could put a little bit more stress on my body. I've gone up to a 15 mile run without any kind of calorific intake in the morning whatsoever. Um, I've gone 16 hours, which is not totally unprecedented. And I also did that hike up Balsam Mountain with Paula in the wind and the snow. And I think that went 16 hours or close enough without calorific intake as well. It is interesting. Your body really can take a lot more pressure than it's typically put under. And if you apply that pressure in incremental stages, you know, your body really doesn't seem to mind that much. And if you're still wondering who is Diogenes and why should we care, well, you know where to find the episode. Travel has always been a central component of this show. And having spent a year on the road myself back in 2016 with wife and then young son, I always wanted to do a show on somebody who more or less lives on the road. And I found a guy called Trevor Warman, another Brit. He goes by the handle, the nomadic backpacker. And when I first reached out to him, he said, let's not make this about travel in the age of COVID because he said, you know, that's already a bit old. But I interviewed him and um, he had a lot of good things to say, including this. This is what I do. This is what I'm good at. This is what I enjoy. I'm good at this. I'm confident in, you know, backpacking down through Africa. No problems at all. That said, I didn't use the interview immediately. I sat on it and eventually went back and re-interviewed Trevor because he found himself having to jump from country to country, not just out of desire, but to stay one step ahead of COVID, which he didn't always succeed at. Inevitably, we'd entitled the episode Travel in the Age of COVID. And on that episode, episode 16, I asked him whether it made sense for him to be traveling in the middle of a pandemic and indeed 
where was a home that he could go back to? Home, home was always the house where I was born, where my father is still living. Um, he is high risk, determined by determined by the government. He is high risk, so uh, you know I cannot go back there. You know. At the end of that episode, Trevor was talking about getting to Mexico, and that's where he was when I checked in with him. He replied to me via email and wrote the following: he "said Greetings from Mexico City. Happy anniversary." Have you been able to realize your goals over the past year? I have been able to remain on the road despite quite a few upheavals and nervous, frantic moments and adding to my country count, 98 at present and poised for loads more, have remained healthy throughout by not being reckless. Have you been able to turn the COVID crisis into an opportunity? Had COVID not presented itself, he writes, I doubt if I would have come to Mexico and the rest of Latin America is right here on my doorstep. And this is somebody, by the way, who had travelled to 987 countries, I guess, and still somehow never gotten to Latin America because somehow the guy who can backpack through Africa, no problem, was a little bit wary of Latin America. Do you have an exciting upcoming event project? Yes, the rest of Latin America. Do you have a motto for staying optimistic going forwards? Hang in there. We've got this. Parentheses, brackets. Our patience is being stretched to the limit, though. For the new year, I did two episodes back-to-back about two people who refused to let the pandemic prevent them making planned life changes. In part one, I featured Adam Fletcher. Yes, he's a relation, and he talked about his volunteer work with asylum seekers on the Greek island of Samos. In this brief clip from that episode, episode 18, which I appallingly entitled Not the Samos It Ever Was, Adam talks a little about the motivations for people to make the long, long journey only to find themselves locked up in a camp on a distant island. Even though I'm hearing the whole run, like the the run of the gamut of different stories of why people are here, the thing that links all of them is the fact that I think when I first got here was to see that the conditions that people were having to live in. And then when I added that on to the stories that people told me of their journey, and not only the, the dangers that we hear about constantly and the shocking number of people who drown in the Aegean and Mediterranean every year, which is, is still, I mean, I personally think a bit of a disgrace for the EU to be beholding. Um, it's just the sheer length of journey that people have been, they've, they've left their countries five or six years ago, and they're only now still waiting in Samos in these horrific conditions. And I think the thing that clicked with me the first time I was here was just to understand, you, you know what, N- no one would do this if they had any other choice, there is no reason you would put yourself in this position after six years and then to be living in, in these really, really debilitating, horrifying conditions. No, no one would do that unless they, they didn't have a choice and were fleeing from something that put them in severe danger. Adam, who is my nephew, who is just into his 30s, most certainly does have a choice about what he does with his life, and he spent part of it as a musician, including, on its more lucrative end, as a member of a touring ABBA tribute group. That makes it all the more admirable that he should have chosen to go volunteer on the island of Samos four years in a row, and even more so that, as he discussed on that episode, he chose to hang up his musical ambitions entirely, at least his professional ones, go back to college and learn to become a doctor so that he can apply those newly acquired skills back 
in the refugee camps in the future. He was good enough to send in a WhatsApp message and you know, thank you, Adam, for being in touch. Hi, it's very nice to be uh, to, to be speaking on the podcast again. Um, yes, I've, I've since returned to, to England over the last few days during that isolation process. Um, now that my six-month contract in Samos came to an end, um, I'm kind of really surprised at what this year has brought for myself personally um, in that it's been quite a career change deciding to go from music into medicine. Um, but over the last month, I've received offers from a, a couple of different medical schools in the UK. So I'm very excited to be starting that new chapter of my life in September. Uh, it was very difficult to leave the situation in Samos, uh, particularly not just because, you know, the situation is, is ongoing and it can be very difficult to, to leave something that you think is a, a deeply unjust and part of the world that deserves a lot of focus, care and attention. Um, but also just because of the, the friendships you make and also the connections you make with, with very inspiring people who live in challenging circumstances but still find still find the energy and the space and that, that space within themselves to be compassionate and loving people who give so much and... Um, it's been a very, very inspiring uh, few months in that regard. Um, and I hope to return one day in more of a medical context. And finally, just in terms of a motto, I think the one thing I would say is, if you're able to put a huge amount of effort into something with no guarantee of success, that is, that's the most powerful energy I think you can put into the world. Um, to do something with, with to do something with all of your effort and all of your care without any guarantee of reward or success, um, I think that sort of that sort of courage gives you the energy to accomplish things that you wouldn't have really thought possible in the past, and it gives you a sort of faith and optimism going forward. So yeah, that's what I'd say. Hey you! The other person I featured on those back-to-back episodes was David Watts Barton, a writer, musician, burner, and traveller who did not wait for the pandemic to end before acting out on his impulse to change home countries. About five years ago, a relationship broke up, and so I decided that I wanted to travel, and so I just started traveling, and I traveled for the last five years. Um, But then it made me realize after five years that I didn't have a home, you know, and I was like, I think I'm ready to have a home for a while. And um, and honestly, the the only place that I really thought I wanted to uh, make a home was Berlin. I've been, uh, been 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 to Berlin five times, and I was just like, I love Berlin. It just it fits me. It's like a good combination between the sort of international intense thing of New York, but not that intense, and the sort of laid back, super funky California thing. So it's and and they and then it's its own it's its own place for sure. So I decided to uh, head to uh, Berlin in the middle of COVID. That episode, episode 19, was entitled Berlin Bound. As ever, I'm extraordinarily original in my choice of titles. But we also had David talking about his impending book on Japan and quite a few other things besides. David wrote in to offer his own responses to my questions and they go as follows. Hell yes, I've been able to accomplish my goals, at least some of them. My book is being published next month. I just did a live concert webcast and I moved to Berlin. Didn't record my album, though, because I can't get into a studio with musicians yet. And now I'm in California enjoying spring after a long winter, so I'm back to traveling, at least a bit. So yes, my upcoming project, he says, is the publication on April 27th of my book, Japan, From Animal to Zen. (laughs) From Anime to Zen. Uh, By the way, that's my birthday, so, you know, David, if you want to send any gifts out, um, I can't wait to read it. 
as for staying optimistic, I'm just sort of naturally pretty good at that, but I'm reminded of the lyrics in the bridge of the song that always grounds me and makes me feel better. What you don't have, you don't need it now. What you don't know, you can feel it somehow. What you don't have, you don't need it now. Don't need it now. It's a beautiful day. And so that just about brings us up to date, except for one more contribution. On episode 23, I featured Julie Maguire on a show called The Backcountry Bug, and it's been an incredibly popular episode. I think Julie's story just really resonates with people. She's a very outgoing character. She writes wonderful stories on her social media. And she talked in intimate detail about something that a lot of us go through, myself included, which is divorce, and how for her it was a completely traumatic experience. And she described that as such in our interview. It takes like a long time to really kind of like um, heal from that. Even if you're over your ex, healing from the experience is is like a totally different thing, you know? Um, So yeah, (laughs) it's... I, I don't know anyone, even in, in people that I know that, you know, they have this like, yeah, we should just go our separate ways. It's just not working out. And it's this mutual agreement. It's always still like a devastating uh, process. And I don't think people realize just maybe like how long it takes, like, especially that year afterwards, it was like someone, you know, died, like every little thing was a big deal. Fortunately for her, Julie was able to find refuge and escape in her love of country. Post-production, edit, correction, I mean skiing, of course, and specifically in the discovery of backcountry skiing, which is where you get off the resorts, as we call them, and you hike up a mountain with your skis on your feet and skins underneath them, or your skis on your back, and you discover your own trails down them. And she's made a particular escapade of this in the Catskill Mountains, where she has also, by magical coincidence, become the 3500th member of the Catskill 3500 Club. Julie responded immediately to my request for a contribution to this anniversary show. I think she really enjoyed being on the show. It may be the start of some more media exposure for her to the question, have you been able to realize your goals over the past year? She wrote, this past year with COVID was actually key in allowing me to achieve things. I left the city and moved up to the Catskills full time, though I still pay rent on my apartment. But I believe wholeheartedly that if you visit nature with some regularity and allow yourself to experience solitude, that you will have transformation. Being in nature and alone often gave me the inspiration for new goals and projects. I truly felt like I was tapping into something. I think long-lasting transformation is a slow, subtle process. I think people assume it happens in a hammer-hits-you-on-the-head moment, but my experiences this year have shown me that it happens without you noticing it. You just one day realise you're reacting to and prioritising things differently. Do you have an exciting upcoming event slash project? I'm trying to ski for as long as I can this season, she wrote. That was at the end of March, but she succeeded through at least the first 10 days or so of April. I will be exploring more of the Catskills this summer, the lower 67 peaks where most of the good backcountry skiing actually is. I have some more plane crashes to find that's in our local mountains, which was part of last summer's hiking project. I'm also doing a women's backcountry camp in Argentina in August. Do you have a motto for staying optimistic going forwards? 
I don't have a motto, but I do know that eventually I will have another traumatic experience because that's part of the cycle of existence. What I have learned is that getting into nature and skiing are the first things I should do when that happens and I believe the path to resurrecting myself will reveal itself there. Thank you, Julie, for tying everything up there for this anniversary episode by expressing the beauty of nature, the importance of exercise, the attraction of travel, and recognizing the importance of a positive attitude in life, even as we all also have to recognize that life will throw negatives our way. anybody who has noticed that this show has arrived effectively two weeks late well I have to face up to my own realities at times I took a few days off for a spring break I went up to the Adirondacks went to a cabin in the woods spent not enough time in the cabin I went out running hiking and I skied Whiteface Mountain for the first time up at Lake Placid I had a wonderful time there. I got back from that trip on a Wednesday. I had asked everybody to supply their anecdotes. I'd even recorded an introduction out on the deck of the whiteface at the end of the day there. I sat down at my desk on return and went, Tony, you are utterly crazy. You can't put this show together in the next few hours. That was meant to be a holiday. It was meant to be a break. And I have other work schedules going on. So I had to put it aside. The following week, I had my son with me. I tried to do the same thing. And I recognized that this was my dedicated week of parenting and that that takes priority. This show is, after all, largely, in fact, entirely a labor of love. The supporter page and the small contributions received so far, not withstanding. One thing about taking that additional pause is that I did get more contributions for this show. So that kind of worked out. Hopefully you got a better show as a result. It looks like it's going to run over an hour for the very, very first time. A lot of shows I subscribe to do run over an hour. I don't want this to be a habit, not least because it usually fits into two nice 30-minute segments on Radio Kingston. I don't think you need me at the end of this hour to go over my own responses to the questions I pose to other people. But I did mention way up front of the podcast, I think uh, around talking to Tim, that I had also taken on an employment role. And mine which extends actually all the way back to before Christmas, is as a case investigator for the New York Department of Health on COVID. Yes, I'm one of those people who calls you if you tested positive for COVID, which I obviously hope is none of my listeners, though the reality is that at least some of them have tested positive this year. I'm one of those people who will call you, go over your symptoms, help figure out your isolation period, issue an isolation order, follow up with daily monitoring calls to see how you're doing, issue an isolation release notice of what we hope will just be a 10-day period. We also go over trying to see if we can figure out where you were exposed to the virus, especially if it will help us identify a cluster. And we also go over any close contacts you may have exposed yourself to during the period that you were infectious, but not in isolation. Not everybody wants to answer every question, of course, but most people are incredibly cooperative. And the job has been really beneficial, not just because I hope I'm doing my own part to end this pandemic. Ironically, I have a job that I would prefer I didn't have, but because for all that I believe my many years of interviewing people, often by phone, may well qualify me for this role, this role has actually made me certainly a better listener, 
hopefully a better interviewer, undoubtedly more empathetic, and certainly less judgmental. I have spoken to people that run pretty much the whole gamut of the American demographic. I can tell you that almost any stereotype you want to throw out about people is unfounded. And I can also unfortunately tell you that COVID is seriously ongoing, that the variants are having a profound impact, that infection is really prevalent among young people, that it spreads very quickly within households, and that we are a long, long way out of being out of the woods here. I think this is just something we are hopefully going to be living with as opposed to dying with just for a long time to come. Now, all of that said, to absolutely look on the bright side of life, I'm happy to report I am vaccinated. I'm happy to report my older son is fully vaccinated. His mom is fully vaccinated. My younger son got his first shot on the very first day New York opened up to 16-year-olds and upwards. And partly as a result of all of this, but specifically because back in the UK, my mother got vaccinated and the country is very hesitantly opening back up after this long lockdown we referenced back with the uh, contribution here from Ollie Hunter-Smart. I have taken the plunge. I am on the first flight from New York to Manchester when the country reopens for uh, holidays, as they call it, on May 17th on Virgin Airlines with the hope that I will finally be able to see my mother in person again. It's only hand-holding. It's not going to be every day. You're not even allowed to hug. I mean, the rules in the UK are very, very, very strict. And if you're wondering there, who on earth would know that I was hugging my mother? Well, she is in a care home. And of course, with all the deaths there have been in care homes, I respect those rules. And I really hope to be able to see some other friends over in the UK. I saw the pubs reopen this past Monday, just before this show goes out. I saw lots of pictures of my friends out at the pubs, all unmasked. But whatever, I really look forward to seeing people again. And just sort of looking ahead and knowing that there is uh, so much we're dealing with, with COVID. I just feel that for humanity to survive, we've got to recognize uh, the good in us. We've got to recognize the enormous advances taken by science. We need to have faith in the scientists. I don't know that humanity is really going to learn from all of this. I think we have an angel on one shoulder and a devil on the other. For my part, I lean towards the angel. I insist on doing that. I persist in doing that. I don't mean I'm angelic. I mean, I just have to lean towards the good in humanity. This show is hopefully my own little part in projecting that on the rest of the world, primarily by trying to bring on really interesting people who are doing their own part to project that on the rest of the world. I do want to thank everybody who's made this year-long journey with me. And while it's been hard work, it absolutely has been a massive part of me turning this past uh, year of crisis, if it has been a crisis for me, into an opportunity. I'll be back in a couple of weeks for another episode. In the meantime, take care of yourselves, get your vaccine if you haven't already, as soon as it becomes available for you. And hopefully we got this. Bye. One Step Beyond is written, produced and narrated by Tony Fletcher. Incidental music is by Noel Fletcher, unless otherwise stated. The theme song is by Madness, used with permission, and the logo is by Mark Lerner. Special thanks to Radio Kingston for airing these episodes and for supplying studio space when not under lockdown. If you like what you hear, please consider throwing us a tip via the Support This Show button on your phone or by visiting supporter 
www.acast.com slash one step beyond lowercase. You can also hit the subscribe button and or leave a positive rating and or review. It all helps. One Step Beyond is on social media, mainly on Instagram. Just search One Step Beyond with Tony Fletcher there or on Facebook and Twitter and we should come up straight away. To subscribe to a newsletter, to reach out via email and especially if you're interested in sponsorship opportunities, the address is onestepbeyond at ijamming.net. One Step Beyond is available on just about every podcast platform known to man and most likely a few that have yet to be discovered. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy and stay active.